0: From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler. Last week, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris came to Georgia to deliver speeches calling on Congress to take action to pass a pair of sweeping voting bills. Today, we come
1: to Atlanta, the cradle of civil rights, to make clear what must come after that dreadful day when a dagger was literally held at the throat of American democracy.
0: But Biden's words were not universally well received, even by some voting rights groups that also want federal action. And the fate of the legislation seems to be DOA because of two Democrats' unwillingness to change Senate rules and a governing margin too narrow to have any holdouts. Republicans, like Governor Brian Kemp, used the trip to attack Democrats' flailing federal agenda and dig in on their stance on elections.
1: The Biden, Harris, and Stacey Abrams agenda have never let the truth get in the way of pushing their extreme views on our state and on this country. We have secured the ballot box, restored
0: confidence in our elections, and made it easy to vote and hard to cheat. This week, we look at the long-shot push for federal voting overhauls and what that means for politics in Georgia. Since Reconstruction, Georgia has been a prominent state in the ongoing debates and fights over who gets to vote in America. In the last season of Battleground Ballot Box, we talked to Morehouse College professor Adrian Jones about some of the backlash that came from the 15th Amendment giving black men the right to vote we slowly but quickly make our way towards Jim Crow laws. And those laws are preventing Black people, particularly in the former Confederate states, from taking full advantage of their liberties, and in particular, being able to access the polls. She told us about Georgia's early constitutions that forbade Black people from voting all the way up through the 1900s, including poll taxes, grandfather clauses, literacy tests, and more. The United States is actually the only country where they have granted the franchise to a group of people and then taken it back again. But in 1957, the federal government enacted the Civil Rights Act, which created some teeth for the Justice Department to tackle civil and voting rights for black citizens, including the launch of the Civil Rights Section of the Justice Department. Now, this was no slam dunk. The main opponents were Southern Democrats, including all of Georgia's 10 representatives. In the Senate, the bill was watered down by Majority Leader and future President Lyndon B. Johnson to get support from liberals in the Northwest. Ultimately, the Senate agreed to the bill with 18 no votes from Democrats, including Georgia's segregationist Senators Richard B. Russell and Herman Talmadge. While that earlier Civil Rights Act was considered ultimately toothless, it opened the door for other legislation down the road. Now, to see the connection to our modern debate over voting rights, you have to fast forward to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Most Americans had seen Birmingham, Alabama's Public Safety Department, helmed by Bull Connor on television, viciously attacking black protesters with hoses, batons and dogs. President John F. Kennedy called up the National Guard to integrate the University of Alabama and keep black students safe the early rumblings of what would become the Civil Rights Act of 1964 began to take shape, again, with bipartisan support and with Southern opposition. On June 11, 1963, Kennedy delivered his report to the American people on civil rights.
1: It ought to be possible, therefore, for American students of any color to attend any public institution they select without having to be backed up by troops. It ought to be possible for American consumers of any color to receive equal service in places of public accommodation, such as hotels and restaurants and theaters and retail stores, without being forced to resort to demonstrations in the street. And it ought to be possible for American citizens of any color to register and to vote in a free election without interference or fear of reprisal.
0: Civil rights activist Medgar Evers was assassinated at his home the next day. Public support for legislation had grown in 1963 with the March on Washington for jobs and freedom and after the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing that killed four young black girls. But Kennedy's agenda was stalled by Southern lawmakers who were staunchly opposed and not just on civil rights. At Kennedy's final press conference before being assassinated in Dallas, he was asked about legislative gridlock.
1: My uh, judgment is that by the time this Congress goes home in the in the, in the sense of next uh, summer, that uh, in the fields of education, mental health, taxes, civil rights, this is going to be a uh, record uh, that's uh, going to be, uh, however dark, uh, looks now uh, I think that uh, Westwood looked to land is bright and I think by next
0: summer it may be. Lyndon Johnson, newly sworn in as president, pushed Congress to act. After passing the House and overcoming a 54-day-long filibuster in the Senate led by Georgia senator Richard B. Russell, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 became law. Another push more focused on voting rights came in 1965 after George's John Lewis and others were beaten while marching in Selma, Alabama in what was ultimately known as Bloody Sunday. That law was passed with bipartisan support 328-74 in the House and passed the Senate 77-19 again with Southern Democrats opposed. The sweeping law drastically overhauled civil and voting rights in America, targeting racial discrimination in the South and other jurisdictions. It outlawed literacy tests and ordered federal oversight that required the government to pre-clear voting changes in places like Georgia with a history of racist laws. The Civil Rights Act has been amended several times in 1970, 1975, 1982, 1992, and 2006, all with bipartisan support to address expirations of different provisions or tweak language to reflect the situation of the times. But after the Supreme Court's landmark 2013 Shelby v. Holder decision that essentially gutted most of the act, the debate on what to do about federal voting rights has been bitterly partisan. So when President Biden and Vice President Harris came to the Atlanta University Center last week to urge Congress to change the filibuster rule from a 60-vote threshold to allow the Democrats' bare minimum majority to pass equally sweeping voting rights legislation, it was a tough sell. Democrats Republicans, and, and independents
1: worked to pass the historic Civil Rights Act and the voting rights legislation. And each successive generation continued that ongoing work
0: But we live in a different political reality now. The two bills being considered, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and the Freedom to Vote Act, are wide-ranging legislation that would drastically overhaul elections across the country at a scale much larger than big voting bills passed locally by GOP-controlled states. The Voting Rights Advancement Act would restore a lot of the Voting Rights Act overturned by Shelby v. Holder while the Freedom to Vote Act would create standards for federal elections that all states would have to follow, plus redistricting and campaign finance reform, tackle attacks on elections workers, and much, much more. Republicans have called the measures a, quote, federal takeover of elections and are opposed, while others have said the bill seeks to do too many things with too narrow a legislative majority. Biden took an aggressive tone in his Georgia speech. He evoked some of the uglier figures in American history to compare opponents to these sweeping bills.
1: So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis. This is the moment to decide to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. And if you do that, you will not be alone.
0: But Biden also received pushback from voting rights groups who said coming to Georgia was unnecessary, too late and should have been spent strong arming lawmakers into passing his agenda. Over the Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend, there was even more focus on federal voting rights as group marched, protested and urged Congress to finally act. One of the more notable comments came from Yolanda Renee King, the 13 year old granddaughter of Dr. King, who spoke about the need to pass voting rights ASAP. Today in 2022, the right to vote is under attack. As our elected leaders try to silence our voices, At just 13, I have fewer voting rights than I did the day that I was born. That's why my family has spent this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend mobilizing, first in Phoenix and now in Washington to demand the President and Senate get voting rights legislation done. Our rights are on the line. For now, two Democrats are in the driver's seats for what comes next. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema is opposed to changing the filibuster rules, as is West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. But the Senate is moving forward, taking up the bills, and we'll see if 2022's climate and the president's urging will be enough. Battleground Ballad Box is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Our producer is Jess Mador. Our editor is Wayne Drash. Our engineer is Jesse Neiswanger, who also wrote our theme music. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.